Hello, hello. How's everyone doing out there? I hope everyone's out there staying safe and healthy. Thank you for tuning in to Necessary Conversations with a Black Woman. I'm your host, Jessica Mason. This platform is for black women, you know, to share their experiences, to educate and enlighten the public on their plight. You know, folks always, you know, bad women have a bad rep and have this reputation of being angry. Well, you ever ask yourselves why? You know, and, and then this talk nowadays, especially of, you know, conversation, we should be having a conversation uh, two decades into the 21st century. Now you want to have that conversation about 20 years too late for that. But you know what? You want to have the conversation? Fine. Let's have a conversation. So that's what we're here to do. So sit back, relax, take a load off, you know, get your libations, your teas, your coffees, you know, whatever your preference is. And let's just sit down and just, you know, listen and talk and have this conversation. So tonight we have with us Veronica White. Hey Veronica, um, what do you do for a living? I'm I, I just try to stay occupied. <laughs> <laughs> I follow whatever interests me. You know, I've I've done a lot of things from uh, training to be a stockbroker, but didn't quite finish. But I learned what that's about. Uh, I drove taxi. The thing I, I enjoyed doing the most was driving. I've driven taxi, I've driven Uber, I've driven, um, uh, what's that other thing, accessorize. Oh, know? okay. So I like to drive. Um, I've taught um, after school programs. I've had after school programs. Um, what else? I attempt. That was fun because I signed up for like 10 or 13 agencies and Sometimes I'd get up and forget where I was supposed to go. <laughs> you know, it became, it became challenging, but that was that was a, a turning point in my career. Um, but it it helped me learn a lot of different fields. So now I just I just try to stay occupied. I try to, you know, keep myself in a cash flow. Hey, listen, and, what I see, what what am I hearing here? Broker, educator, driver. That's a lot of hats and definitely a way to keep yourself occupied, okay? It, uh, I took my hats off I'm to a musician. You. And look at that. And yeah. I did all those things because I was a musician and I felt like I was supposed to do those things because musicians are supposed to have all these jobs to keep from being a starving artist, you know. Gotcha. But for, for a while I toured, you know, for a while I made money with the music, you know. That's good. So, I appreciate that. And that sounds really, really good. That sounds like a really, you know, exciting life on many different levels and now I know who to call on my next road trip <laughs> yeah I've been some places and I found that I have a good planetary memory if I've been there and I was awake when we went I can get us back there you know oh, nice. I can remember how we went you know I don't I don't really get turned around and lost I have a good sense of direction well that's a good trait to have a lot of us would die without uh what is that without ways or google maps oh please um, what age category do you fall into? I'm a boomer. Boomer. Ah, we got another boomer in the I'm house. A, I'm a boomer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you something. Would you would you being a boomer, you know, you you you've been around, you've seen some things, you probably did some things, who knows? But you know, <laughs> I know you've definitely seen how the black community has, you know. Well, done a number of things definitely changed but progressed in a lot of areas digressed in some areas but like when you were a child 
Do you remember where we were at that? Like, where was the Black community as a whole at that time when you were a child? Can you recall? Yeah, there were a lot of things going on. Um, there was uh, rioting, you know, what I remember the Watts riots. Um, I remember having, there were riots in, in Queens and Brooklyn. I lived, I've always lived on this island. So I tell everybody I'm an island girl. I'm from the island of Long. Oh, Lord. And, Ugh, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, even though Brooklyn and Queens fall on that peninsula as well. So you just won't give it to Long Island? It's the same island. You know, okay. they want to be different. But I was born in East New York. I mean, East New York, East Meadow, Long Island. So I was born out in Long Island. Okay. I was raised in Queens. And I live in Brooklyn. So I've, I'm from the island of Long. So what were like so, some rise that you that you were talking that you were referring to that took place in Queens? Um, well, I remember walking through some to go home from, oh, from school. You know, it's like, oh, they're rioting. But I my mother wasn't having me not come home when I'm supposed to be home. So I didn't stay to watch, I didn't stay to participate. I just walked through it and went home. <laughs> you know, it's okay. like nobody hit me. No cops grabbed me up, nothing. I remember one right outside my school. I went to school um, in, in Jamaica, Queens, mm -hmm. um, in a, a housing co-op complex called Rochdale Village. Okay. And there was, okay. there was school there on New York Boulevard. And when I came out of school, there was a riot going on. Do you, know, do you remember what it was for? Like no, what was behind it? I didn't stop to ask. Oh, I just went home. But it wasn't in the paper or nothing later? Your folks didn't talk about no, it? No, every riot didn't make the paper. Okay, okay. Every riot didn't make the paper. There was, you know, um, down New York Boulevard, there was a Panther office down there. There were two Black Panthers offices um, near me. Okay. Um, a woman named Joanne Chesimard was a Panther. Nobody talked about her until they tried to set her up and accuse her of killing a cop on the New Jersey Turnpike somewhere. Um, and they broke her out of, she was one of the people that they, the two the two breakouts that when they, she was in court, mm -hmm. they went in, Panthers came in with their guns and walked her out of there. Ooh, and later she, she's the person known as um, Asada Shakur. Not, As yeah, Asada Shakur. Joanne Chesimard was Asada, the one that they broke her out and sent her to Cuba. Cuba. Gotcha. And she's been okay. living in Cuba. The book is out. It's been out for decades. Asada. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. And and I do believe didn't they break Angela Davis out or something at one point? Out of court, they walked her, broke her out of something. I remember there were two instances, and they were looking for Angela Davis. Mm. And I was hoping that she was hiding in Queens because if I saw her, I was going to put her in my basement. That was my plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So no, we but, definitely had more of a, a sense of community back then, definitely helping one another clearly. But how yeah. did these like these rioted? Like how did this affect the neighborhood? Because I'm assuming the place where they're rioting, we all live here. Well, they didn't they didn't um where I lived, I lived in Jamaica, Queens. Um it was called Southeast Queens. It was a borderline of St. Albans, Springfield Gardens, and um yeah, that and that was all part of Jamaica. And they weren't, I think they might've had some riots on Jamaica Avenue, Okay. but I, I didn't, I don't really remember seeing evidence like places burned out and we couldn't go in certain stores anymore. Um, 
but they were happening in Brooklyn. You know, so I remembered hearing that, but mostly I was seeing it on TV with the Watts riots and, you know, different places that they were really burning it out and the police were marching down the streets. They weren't marching down the streets where I lived. So what was happening, like when I was in elementary school, we went to a little neighborhood wooden schoolhouse. And when there got to be more population that could fit inside the building, they put trailers outside in the yard and some classes were in the trailers. And we knew the teachers, we weren't acting up because you could go to the supermarket and that teacher could be in line behind you and your mother, mm. you know, or, or sitting to your mother in the hairdresser. So you were not going to be doing anything that, because they'll talk about you and with no remorse. They will tell whatever it is that you do. I mean, you did not, if you failed something on your report card, everybody knew it. They were all talk, we all talked about each other. You could, we had, we got marked for our penmanship. So mm -hmm. it's like, if you didn't get to the point where you're allowed to use a pen because you are still, your penmanship is bad and you still have to use a pencil, yeah. <laughs> that was a cause to get talked about. Oh, <laughs> you know, poor kids. So, yeah, yeah. It was walking distance from home, but one year, um, during the Christmas vacation, they closed down the school. It was PS one ten, and then we had to go past PS one ten under the train tracks to the school in Rochdale, PS thirty. Wait, they and closed it down it permanently? Yeah. Oh, they why? closed it, and some of the teachers. They just closed that school out. They just closed it out. And everybody went to PS30. And it was a building. Um, everything looked brand new because Rochdale was kind of brand new. Rochdale, before it was Rochdale, it was a racetrack. Okay. And so they tore it down and built these co-ops. And on each side was a synagogue. And that baffled me. It's like, why you need two synagogues? But okay, I didn't know anything about Jewish anyway, so they needed two synagogues. And we were all these white teachers and some of the teachers from PS30 were there. There were a few black, I mean, from PS110 okay. were in PS30 and there were some other black teachers and some of their teachers, some of their, their children were in our class. Mm -hmm. So in the third grade, we moved to this school. Was That was... Was this around the time of busing? There was busing. We were walking distance to actually the PS32, but they had buses for us. And they would pick us up at the corner and go around the neighborhood and then go over and drop us off at PS30. Um, and it was weird, you know, like you have your interactions waiting at the bus. You had your friends from the neighborhood. And my first memory around that time was there was one little boy who was picking on me um, named Russell. Another little boy stepped up and told him to stop picking on me. So then he started teasing him and telling him, that was Eric. He started telling him, oh, that's your girlfriend, huh? And huh. well, he didn't say I wasn't. So there it was, I was his girlfriend. Aww. So we got into PS30 and now we're in classes and there's all these white kids and, you know, they had braces and they had acne and they had 
dandruff and you know peeling skin and you know different stuff that that white kids get that I that I had not seen among my friends in the neighborhood. You know they had allergies and sinus issues and open mouth breathing and you know all this all this stuff. These weird kids and that's how they looked to me. Well, there was this one girl named Robin Finkelstein. I remember her because after a couple of, I don't know, a couple of months in school, all of a sudden, Eric decides that's his girlfriend. And I was like, well, why? And it's because she had long hair and go-go boots. Cause that was like Rowan and Martin laughing and all of those shows were out mm -hmm. and go-go boots and Nehru jackets and the medallions and, you know, shoulder bags, you know, the things like that. And like Miss Peggy Lipton, you know, long hair, yeah. uh, Peggy Lipton from Mob Squad. Mob Squad, yeah. Yeah, you know, and so, and, and that was the first time I really felt like there was something that I couldn't do because I couldn't have long hair and white skin. This, you know, like that was the first thing that I, the first time I felt a sense of not being able to accomplish something I wanted to do or have, you know, like that. And mm. I, I stayed crushed for a long time because I, it made me feel a sense of um, not good enoughness. That was the beginning. And yeah. And I, I remember being so mad. I really wanted to beat her up. Mm. But she sat, the next day, she sat next to me and she sang to me all day. <laughs> I, I, how do you get mad with somebody that's singing to you? And I, I don't even think it was the same song. She just kept singing different songs. All day long, all through school? All, all through the we, were in, we were in elementary school. It wasn't like you could pass, there was no bell to pass into the next class. So I'm literally stuck with you all day with you singing. <laughs> and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't a fighter okay. to begin with. So it's not like I could beat her up and say, I'm beating her up because she won't stop singing to me. <laughs> Even at age, whatever we were, 10, uh, uh, you know, that that sounded utterly ridiculous and I wasn't gonna do that. I still didn't want to be her friend. She had braces and uh, so that was that. And then here's another this is when I realized what it, what people were talking about when they were saying black people and white people. Because I mean I knew that those were white people, but I didn't really connect what I was as black people. I knew I just didn't have white skin and go-go boots and long hair, straight hair, you know, that. But I was on the elevator mm -hmm. and there was a lady with a child in the elevator. The kid was younger than me. And the kid, I, when I got on the elevator, I heard the kid lean over to his mother and say, mom, that ladies, that girl, because I was a girl, I was about 10, that girl's dirty. And, and it, his mother said, you know, Psh, you know, she nudged him to be quiet. And I thought that I hadn't washed my neck and my neck was dirty. 
you know. Oh, okay. oh mm. but after the, after I after they got off the elevator, I looked at my hand, and then I looked at this side, and I my heart jumped. I was like, oh. You know, that was the realization. He was talking about all of the whole of me. You know, that my skin in his mind was dirty. So you know? here as a youngster, you already have the complex of you can't have the long hair and the white skin and the go-go boots. Now yeah. you've got you done lost the boyfriend, and now <laughs> folks think you're dirty. You know, because as a little child, I mean, I as a little even, child. I don't even think I wanted to believe it because I went home and I really gave my neck a good scrubbing. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, baby, maybe my neck was dirty, you know, but those were my experiences being bust or moved into a white, a majority white environment. So how teachers treated us, how they, you know, how they favored lighter skinned children or children with longer or straightish hair, even if they were darker brown. Mm. You know, um, and then the, then those children would start acting away, you know, and things like that. So in junior high school was when I started realizing what this color thing was about and this hair thing in the black community. So now we're, let's get to high school. What's what's happening in the black community around that time? Well, I didn't go to high school in my neighborhood because I got a lot of teasing and a lot of um, bullying because I was a dark child. And when we were 10, when I was 10, my mother and my sister-in-law decided we were going up to Harlem to Jerry's Den and we were going to get our afros. Okay. Well, my sister had a big afro nice. and my mom had an older lady, nice afro. And mine was short and tight. You know, if you if you washed it and braided it while it was wet, it could be fluffy. But by the end of the day, it was tight. And I got all kinds of names and all kinds of picking on and all kinds of stuff. So by the time I finished junior high school, I decided I didn't want to go to high school in this neighborhood because these people were mean and crazy. So during somewhere during that time, a teacher recognized that I was, you know, I had been playing the violin and stuff. I had started playing the violin when I was seven. So in junior high school, I was already playing. And, excuse me, he told me about the high school of music and art and, excuse me, performing arts. Mm -hmm. And it was too late for me to audition for performing arts. So I auditioned for music and art and a school in Queens that had a music program. And then I also thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I went to interview for another high school called John Bound that had a special agriculture program. So I was either going to go for music or I was going to go there and go to Tuskegee and be a vet. You, know, so you, um, must be, you must be an animal lover. Yeah, I still am, but I live in a place that can't have pets. <laughs> so not even a goldfish. But, oh, well, yeah, as long as other people can't hear it, <laughs> you know, so so during high school, so I, during high school, I actually got into all the high schools and I chose to go to music and art. Okay. There was the, the marching about the war 
and City College campus always had somebody marching or somebody coming to speak. And we would be looking outside the window, waiting for lunchtime to go outside and get involved or listen. And then we wouldn't go back to class after lunch. Um, some of us would get on the line at the end of the march that was headed down to Columbia University, marching about the, at the time they were talking about charging because college was free, except for like a nominal fee, you know, but they started talking about charging tuition. And so they were protesting about that. And, you know, whenever I could go in March, I was, I would go in March, you know, go to, down to Columbia University and hear what they had to say and mostly be just cutting class, but, you know, listening to some somewhat. And there was all kinds of good music. So even though, I mean, we're at college, the hippies were there, you know, okay. and we were, I was at music and art. A lot of us were hippies. You know, uh, but I but that wasn't peace. Too I, I wrote that off as that was music and art. That was music and art, art and design. Yes, music and art, art and design, and performing arts. You know, we're gonna be like that. You know, but I was zoned for a school called Martin Van Buren. I don't think that was going on. I don't really know what their white population was. You know, so I I guess I was a little bit sheltered from a whole lot of the um the the racial things except for what I saw it on television and we had the black student union and you know different things we were talking about stuff and my mother was instrumental in getting me involved in African culture we went to she took me to um some different places where you learn those things, you learn a little language, you learn some dance, you learn culture. So there was a, a man named Baba Ishangi, and he was a Babalao, which is a priest of the Yoruba um, sp spirituality or Yoruba culture. And then she, she also went to um, Baba um, Opara Dini Zulu, um, which was over another part of Queens, and he was responsible for having brought Akan from Ghana, from Africa to America. Um, so Yoruba, I learned a little Yoruba language, some Akan language, mostly Yoruba stuff, you know, practice because I didn't really go to the Akan temple with my mom. Mm -hmm. um, and then she would go to the dance school in Harlem. There was, there was a, a dance teacher who was also responsible for bringing African culture of, from Nigeria to New York, to the United States. And his name was um, Babatunde Denizulu. And he had an album that was popular. So like that made that, you know, easier to get, you know, learn some things and like the dance that people were, all the children were learning how to do this dance called Funga. And then there was, the, it was a greeting dance and then you learned how to sing it, Funga, Alafia, Ashe, Ashe, you know. Mm. Um, they still, some people still use parts of it because they don't remember all of it, you know, but um, then different dance teachers were coming from Africa, coming to teach, you know. Um, so we were learning steps and choreography and things like that. And, there was showing us like Baba Ishangi's wife's 
was showing me how to wrap my skirts and they call lapas and how to tie my head with a gale and make tops like shirts or dressy to go with my lapas. So those tops were called boobas. And so, I, you know, I was learning about my culture and um, he would give us classes about what was happening. And I learned about um, Czech Antidiop and I learned about different, you know, um, teachers, Dr. Ben and Dr. Um, John Henry Clark um, and then the books that they wrote and, you know, different things. So I was like 16 and I was in high school and learning these things on, you know, on the weekends going with my mom. Oh, I nice. also learned how to protest because the, the telephone company, my mom worked for the telephone company and they were striking because they wanted more pay. Um, my father worked for, this was before that, because my father died when I was 16. I'm sorry, may he rest in peace. Oh, yes. He worked on the docks for a little while and there were always these fights between different races, the Italians against the Jewish people, against the black people and, you know, um, the Irish, you know, there was always fighting and, and things like that. And I suspect, I kind of think that my father might've been friends with Bumpy Johnson because I think mm. I remember hearing, talk, you know, but you know, you weren't allowed to say or ask. And, you know, um, I, I know that um, when Sam Cooke would come into town, my father just had to go to, up to Harlem, <laughs> you know, mm. Sammy's coming, I, I'm, I'm gonna be out. So um, those, those things were going on, you know, the, the clubs, the Cotton Club. I, but, I was just gonna say, like, as you were talking and sharing sharing your experiences and the, and the education that you was receiving, it was like at that time a lot was happening in the you know around the in the, around the nation and you know especially yeah. here in New York. And I'm sure there was a lot of struggle, especially when it came down to work, because the economy started to shift around that time as well. But to still have that opportunity to get to be cultured, no matter what is going on around us at the time, like that, that's a very beautiful and powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was almost like I was, I could see it, but I wasn't in the middle of it because we lived in a house. We had a car, you know? It's like, we just drove to where we were going. I didn't go everywhere on trains. I went to school on the trains, but we went out to Long Island to shop. And I didn't really notice a whole lot of discrimination, even though um, I, there are some things that I've seen on YouTube about um, real discrimination, just one town over or two towns over from where I live. And we literally drove through there to get to the shopping mall and come back. You know, um, where they talked about um, the lady who her, she and her husband bought a house in a town and they were trying, they were threatening to burn her house down. And all that hmm. stuff. That was two towns over from where I lived. Oh wow! You know, so yeah, hmm. so those things were going on, but they weren't going going on on my block, and I wasn't really allowed to go anywhere. So <laughs> my mother kept me close, you know, right here. If you go, I go. You know, um, we call so. those helicopter moms today because they hover. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, she didn't help us. She, she put the skip the fear of mom in me by the time I was four. She's like, if I have to ever call you and you don't respond or you run, because we would see kids acting out. You go out to the mall and you see a little white kid, mother calls them and they run the other way. Right. She'd say, if I ever, if you ever did that, when I caught you, you'd be sorry that you ever did it. You know, if you, and oh, if you so run, you don't make, make them worse. chase you. Don't make them chase you. You asking for it with that one. Yeah. So, you know, that was not going to happen. And she's like, I'm not going to burn my throat out. She didn't say burn my throat out. I'm not going to like lose my voice mm. calling you. If I call you, you better come. And there were times when I thought I heard my mother and my friends didn't hear it. And then I get home and I'm in trouble because that was her. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, my ears became very good. You know, I did not, mom didn't play. Like I had mentioned before, you know, we've, the black community has definitely progressed in some ways and digressed in other ways and definitely changed in some ways. And the way of our upbringing has, has definitely changed some. And do you think that's, that was a good or a bad thing? Well, see, one of the good things about back then when they were opening all kinds of doors and allowing black people room to express, there was a lot of black theater there was poetry. I mean, my mother and I went to, to see Raisin. I saw Ralph Carter on stage when he was in, in Raisin and Debbie Allen and, I, you know, like the Me Nobody Knows and um, um, different, you know, different black oriented plays and small black theater plays and Ed Bullins and Roscoe Orman who ended up on Sesame Street. Um, those were my mother's acting teachers. You know, they really? they would go around to you know communities, and they had storytellers. And man, there were there were people that would on on TV and in in theater that I would actually meet because there were community theaters in the area. The the Black Spectrum Theater, the African Poetry Theater. There were like different Black theater projects going around, and you know, I got to meet these people. Um, that's not going on right now. You know, everybody has gone Hollywood. You know, um, that's where the money is. Some of the, yeah, um, some of the, but 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 black people are getting less parts, fewer parts. If it wasn't for somebody like Shonda Rhimes, so many people would not be getting work. Young people get to see now in the media mm-hmm. is a, a whole lot different than what I got to see coming up, because um, there was a, a education, it was an an, an awakening, um, a digging up the truth. And now people are trying to bury it again. And that's what we're seeing in the media. Uh, and we're seeing um, new, new villains, villainous types, or new ways to slander you know, a race um, showing up in the media. And, and it's showing up in the imaginations of the, the generations that are putting out stuff because their imagination is very limited. Sci-fi to me is the way to go because if you can't imagine yourself in the future, you won't be there. Or somebody else is gonna imagine how you're there. You know, and that's gonna that's gonna fuel how people act in real life. You know, so like I believe we need to get more into sci-fi and really um understand but learn we need to continue to relearn and relearn history, not the revamped history, but dig and dig again. You know, because 
um, there's a lot of stuff missing. There's a lot of stuff that is lost. And I see it in the way people behave towards, it shows in the way people behave between, above, towards their children and towards their elders. That's a social construct that was in, in, um, imposed on people in the 60s. When they talked about that generation, the generation gap, mm -hmm. that was an invention of the 60s. Just like the middle class was an invention of the 60s. There was the rich and the poor. They brought in the middle class. They brought in the generation gap. We used to party. Everybody was at the party. Grandma, mom and dad, the kids. The kids are running around between the parents like they're trees. Grandma's bopping and nodding her head, tapping her foot, that grandpa, or some of them are still up and dancing and the parents were dancing and everybody was drinking the kids. They, they had their little punch and if they were old enough, they'd get a little squeeze of some, mm -hmm. little, you know, something or something. Yeah, a little something in there, maybe a little sip of beer just to say they had some beer, you know. But we partied intergenerally, intergenerationally together. That started breaking down in the 60s when they talked about the generation gap. And some white dude talked about don't trust anybody over 30. Mm. You know, it's like, so they, they, they started making age divides. You know, and that because that was not our way in general. Even when I was little, we, if there was a party, the whole mm -hmm. family was there. So... In your opinion, what do you think it would take for us, for the you know black community, to get those fundamentals of what made us a community back? Like, where do we even start? There's there's a young lady on Instagram that I recently started listening to. Her name is Love underscore Dorsey. If you're too hard headed to hear it coming from somebody who will speak to you like, you know, without trying to cut you down to the core, then listen to somebody who will cut you down to the core and pour it in the salt in the wound, pour it in the wound, you know? Mm. He will cut a slice and pour that reality in. Her, her tongue is a double-edged sword. <laughs> uh, what's her uh, name on Instagram again? Love underscore Dorsey. Okay, okay. I, I want to check about out what, you know, you got to look out because now we can't really go back. We can't really go back to that unless we move to a more, like if we move to Africa and get and just adopt the community, the community minded ways of certain parts of Africa. You know, like they're not all, some places they'll just cut them up. You know, they got stuff going on, being bothered and influ influenced by the Europeans of different you know, varieties. But there's some places where the culture is still, you know, unified and you can go in and become part of the family, part of the community and know your neighbors, help your neighbors share, you know, mm -hmm. have the neighbors. I used to babysit when I was younger. Some of these people you would not want to leave with your child. Mm, yeah, no. Or leave your child with, you know. So like being able to do things and, and go through the stages of growth. The first stage of the first rites of passage when they leave the things of childhood when they're like six, leave the dolls alone. And now you're gonna start learning how to, you know, clean up your room, clean a house, help it, 
you know, doing different things. And now when you're 12, you get prepared as a girl because you're going to start having your cycle and you're going to, you know, have to know how to take care of your body in that way and different things like that. And, and when you, um, when you're 13, well, 12 or 13, now you're starting to think about or get trained about how to deal with family and a man and the event of having a, ch a child being married and different things like that. And just like you have bat mitzvahs, you know, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to know when your body is ready to have a baby, you're supposed to know, you're supposed to be trained on what to do in the case that happens, you know, and, and it's supposed to happen. You're not supposed to delay that for 20 and 30 years. And now you're going to have a baby at age 33. Your body was ready since you were 13. Listen, but do we want 13 year olds out here having babies? No. No, because they're not trained. That's what I'm saying. They need to have their, they need to be, they need to have their stages of rites of passage. Listen, you got grown they folks learn. in their 20s and 30s that ain't trained. No, because we don't do that anymore. You know, I I was blessed to still know people who do that. You know, I didn't have a rites of passage, but I had a cotillion. You know, so you know, they they don't really teach you that much like that. No, it's, but you had your, like that coming out party. Yeah. Almost like it's what they totally, had at Bridgerton, almost just not to that scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't like they're all looking at, you know, the new coming breed of possible wives, you know, but it was, that's what it was uh, regionally for. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my mentor so, when I was in high school, I think I was, it was my senior year. And I remember her telling me, you know, sky's the limit, you know, all that good stuff, good words of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know how we got there. But I remember just saying something to her. Well, listen, if this was 50 years ago, you know, so I said, she was like, honey, if this was 50 years ago, you wouldn't be preparing to go to college. You be preparing to get married. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't even be a glamorous preparation. It'll be like while you also working and cleaning somebody's floors, you know, because if you go to school and you learn how to be a secretary, they're not going to hire you. My mother went to school. She went to Central Commercial High School. She wanted to be a secretary because she just did not like cleaning up people's houses. But no one was hiring black sec secretaries. Mm. So she ended up working at the telephone company. It's funny that you bring that up. Now, do we consider this progression or what? So here it is. Let's move this a little further to like maybe the 80s and maybe late 80s, early 90s, maybe. That could be pushing it. I did an interview with a late boomer and she said to me how, you know, her professor at college told her, if you get a secretarial position, don't take it because you'll be stuck there. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, that's almost what happened to her. But she was able to finagle and do things to help better herself, even though she was in that predicament. And at one point, she even became like uh, the administrative assistant to one to the CD to the CEO. So mm -hmm. it worked for her. But it's like, so here it is. You didn't even want us to be secretaries. Wouldn't allow us to be secretaries at one point. But now at this point, that's all we can do. Yeah, well, you know, they're trying to roll it back because everything we touch, we excel. They don't like it. They think that it's being handed to us like we are not capable of working for it or that we didn't work for it. Um, the, that whole thing of um, affirmative action, they felt like they were giving stuff to black people who didn't do anything to earn it. These black kids studied and these were scholarships that they earned, not like, white people just getting into college just because they're white, which was going on. Well, because of their last name. On. Exactly. Legacy kids and, you know, stuff like that. 
the people who actually got these affirmative action grants worked for those, you know, and that and, and white people act like somebody got something for free. You know, maybe they get to go to college for free, but it's a scholarship like any other scholarship. Listen, I I, I chuckle inside whenever I hear that, specifically if it comes from a woman, because it was like, do me give me a break, okay, because white women benefited much more from affirmative affirmative action in Title IX ways so more so than any other ethnic group, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And look, when you look around, look at what's the new black. They don't look like me. They don't look like you. You, you have, at best, a, a, a child of, of a mixed race marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very light, you know, but most of them, we're back. It's almost like we're back to the brown paper bag test again. Boy, boy, boy. Yeah. So when you look and you see, and this is a mixed crowd, blah, blah, blah. You do, you're not really, you're going to see maybe a black guy, no black female, or if the black female is a black female, she's barely black. You know, um, there's a rare case where you'll see a, like a black female, a black male, dark, an Asian female, an Asian male, dark, you know, like you don't really see a mix. You see somebody who could be Spanish or could be black, mm-hmm. you know, could be Hispanic or could be black, but it's a whole lot of nebulous, you know, not sure what, what we're looking at kind of things going on. And it's like, what do you, what do you say? You know, they, they're trying to, um, I, be, I feel like they're trying to eliminate us besides, you know, they're trying to find another way to starve us out. And like you said before, this whole thing, they look at your, your, your internet, your social media, and we'll decide not to call you in for the interview. Um, you know, different things like that. Try, they're still trying to starve us out. On, in the meantime, they want to say everybody came from Africa and they're over there trying to take Africa. That's a that's a whole that's a conversation for a whole nother time. But yes, absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. And not so, just them, the Chinese too. The worst. That's why I said that's a whole nother conversation for another time. Like we we could do a whole episode just on that alone. But for now, mm-hmm. um, is there anything else that you could say, or anything that you want to say, or maybe any advice that you could give to the audience that will help lead us into that direction? Well, if you don't want to read books by Black historians, get them on audiobook. <laughs> Do something. You know, look up history. Don't let people just feed it to you. You know, so you got to read and, and come to a conclusion from an educated point of view. You know, not just word of mouth and, you know, social media (laughs) my advice to young people now or people take advantage of of um what's going on the trend that's going on now find what it is that's um marketable about yourself and sell it because everybody's different everybody's unique there's something that you have that somebody else can benefit from and learn and is willing to pay so develop yourself and 
you know, as a brand. So you need to cultivate yourself and find out what it is that you have of value and then work on that, build it, you know, and have, have that because we're going to need it. Okay. Some very good advice there. Well, no, thank you so much, Veronica. And those are, that's, you definitely gave us some food for thought there. Um, I will definitely continue to do my part both on and off of my platform. I'm hoping that um, the audience can definitely learn from your wisdom. I know I have just sitting here having, you know, this conversation with you. So I'm sure there's folks that are listening that can too. Folks, take heed, take heed to what she's saying. We can make a change in our community now. It's not gonna happen overnight, but it can happen. Folks, thank you for listening. Veronica, thank you for your time. You guys are listening to, you guys are listening to Necessary Conversations with a Black Woman. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. Good night.